Marini's Media. Wickham win. Five-star posh. Tranmere is so bad, Jacko's told to beat it. And lockdown too. This time, there will be football. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Hey gang, Matt Davis-Adams here to talk through another weekend of excellent EFL action in the company of the former Arsenal, Southend, Stevenage and more winger turned broadcaster par excellence. His Colgate grin even shinier than normal after his beloved Gunners won on Sunday. It's Adrian Clark. Happy new week, Clarky. Yeah, bonjour, Matt. <laughs> Très bien. Uh, it's 18 years to the day since Sam Parkin hit a match-winning brace for Swindon in a 3-2 thriller at Wickham. Now he's talking to me over the internet whilst counting his tins of beans in preparation for the house band month ahead. Uh, life comes at you fast, eh, Sam? It does indeed. Uh, good afternoon. One of my favourite ever games, that one. Me and Johnny Jackson still speak about it to this day. So do at least three or four other people. Uh, finally, she's been keeping me company as I traverse the highways and byways of the country in her job as Talk Sports Premier League anchor. Unquestionably the most famous Luton Town fan after Monty Panisar, Alistair Cook, Eric Morecambe, Keris Matthews and Nick Owen. It's Faye Carruthers. Hi, Faye. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> We're not talking Luton today, though, are we? No, Maybe no. just a little bit. Uh, introduction's done. Time for this. Performance of the weekend. Yes, this is where we each get 15 seconds to put forth our case for what we believe is the best EFL performance of the weekend past. We stick it on Twitter at The Totally Show and you, dear listener, can vote for your favourite. Last week, Ryan Conway took the W. He picked Blackburn. Uh, Faye, you can go first this week. You've picked Coventry City. Your 15 seconds start now. Classy Coventry coming up trumps to inflict Reading's first defeat of the season. Goals from Gustavo Amer, his first in English football. Godden and McCallum made it three and they held on despite Reading pressure to get only their second win since promotion and leave Mark Robbins bob bob bobbing along. That is professional broadcasting at its finest and it means that the pressure is ramped up still further on Adrian Clark yet to get a win in this he's gone for the populist voter game by picking Leighton Orient uh, Clark are you 15 seconds start now okay it's only Bolton but this was a proper spanking from Leighton Orient who even missed a pen to keep things respectable for the trotters four great goals three of them sublime strikes from distance no shots on target faced the O's destroyed the pre-season favourites Half a second to spare, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, Sam, we spoke a lot about Huddersfield Town last week. You've gone Terrier uh, for your pick this week. Your 15 seconds start now. Yeah, great win against the Mill team who were fourth before the game and had lost only once. Huddersfield defended brilliantly and scored a wonderful opening goal. 25 passes, every single player involved. Scored twice on the counter late on. Carlos Colburn looking the business with his trousers. I was late, so just went trousers. Yeah, quite. Yeah, his chino's doing the business. Sorry, I, I was early. <laughs> uh, I've gone with Northampton, and after hearing those three, I, I wonder if I've maybe got my pick wrong again. But here we go. My 15 seconds start now. A 3-2 thriller at the DW, where the Cobblers got the dub yet after losing on their previous five visits to Wigan. They hadn't scored in their last two matches prior to Saturday, but hit three for the first time in the league this season, earning their first away win since September. 18-year-old Kevin. <laughs> EFL goal. Thank you, Abby, for putting the bong over me trying to pronounce that surname. Chukwumaika. Caleb, for short, to his friends. <laughs> All right, get voting on that at The Totally Show on Twitter, the place to go. So, on Saturday afternoon, the nation gathered around their TVs for five hours, waiting for Boris and co to show us their graphs, ready to be told we're heading for lockdown too. This time, it's because of ministerial incompetence. Uh, the good news is that the EFL can continue. In their statement, they said this would give communities a sense of normality. Still no sign of a bailout from the government, though. Presumably, they're waiting for Marcus Rashford to step in and sort things out. Uh, Accrington Stanley have said they'll refund season ticket holders as they aren't getting back into stadiums any time soon. Uh, Sam, it's good news that, that the EFL will be able to continue, but it doesn't mean that the future of many of our EFL members is any more secure than it was this time last week. No, not at all. Um, we're still waiting on, on that front, aren't we? There was obviously the, the letter from Rick Parry last week, I think, to the to the government. Um, a bit of to and fro in, but of course it's still 
really precarious um, position. I think there's one club have, have spoken and said that they're on the cusp of maybe administration. So yeah, we'll wait and see on that front. Obviously, from a personal perspective, I think we'll all be pleased that it's continuing. Um, and I think we speak for all football fans, really, that it's given everyone something of a boost, uh, even though the crowds aren't allowed in. I think, you know, some morale boosting is going to be what's necessary in the weeks ahead. And if people can talk about football, they can watch their team, whether it be through iFollow or on on Sky or whatever, then then that, that can only be... Uh, a positive it is a season like no other some days you know you I scratch my head and think am I enjoying it you know without the fans but there's other days where obviously I'm thrilled to be getting out of the house and going to work and watching football so yeah I, I think it's been run pretty well it seems to be in policed reasonably well as well there hasn't been huge outbreaks when we had the pilot events and and obviously there's been you know cases at clubs but they seem to be you know controlling it relatively well so hopefully that will continue Faye, I guess one of the, the key things about this is, is going to be testing. We know that it's not happening universally across the EFL, but if cases are, uh, continue to rise at, at the rate that they are, then presumably there's going to need to be some funding from somewhere to allow clubs to, to test their players. Yeah, definitely. And that that's the worry, isn't it? Because where is that money coming from? Um, we've talked about it a lot on this pod, haven't we? And it, it, it's quite... <sighs> With everything that's going on, I echo exactly what Sam said there. You know, there's nothing else to talk about, really, apart from, you know, really depressing things. People need this in in their lives. And, or you know, I'm saying that from a football fan's point of view, but I'm presuming that we won't have any non-football fans listening to this pod because that would perhaps be a bit weird. But, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and, and yes, the last thing on earth we want is then a, a spike in cases in in COVID secure bubbles because we're not getting the testing right. And, and that's crucial. Adrian, you kind of making peace with the fact that this is going to be an entire season without supporters in the ground. It, it feels that way, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Yeah, it's hard to envisage big changes ahead of spring now, really. It just seems crazy, doesn't it? Um, it's good that the government recognised the importance of, of EFL clubs to communities. With that in mind, let's hope that they do dip their hands in their pockets. They've supported various other industries. They, they continue to support the arts hugely. Um, it's clear to me that the Premier League aren't really budging on, on their proposal. They've said it's still there on the table. I always felt all along it shouldn't be the, the, the Premier League. It's no one's responsibility. I just think that the Premier League chips in what they've offered and the government potentially matches it. Then we've got our solution. And, and look, they're spending a lot of money on a lot of other things. I think this is the time for them to, to, to provide that bailout. OK, grim news. Tick, let's championship. This season, the Premier League's going to be a little different. But at Paddy Power, we're trying to look at the upside. Avoid unnecessary journeys. That's Fulham's trip to Anfield off. Self-isolate. Some midfielders do that very effectively. Avoid European travel. Shouldn't be a problem for Everton fans. When you think about it, not that much has changed, really. New normal, same old football. Just like Paddy Power's Acker Cracker. Get a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus fold Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude. Shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Championship headlines, Wickham in Wonderland after securing their first win. Meanwhile, Reading are left feeling royal blue after their first loss. They're still top though, leaving Bournemouth as the only unbeaten side. And Deepdale remains an unhappy hunting ground for Preston after their sixth straight defeat at home. I'm not having a pop, Alex, please don't hurt me. Um, we're going to begin with Coventry 3, Reading 2 on Friday night. Uh, Clarky, you were watching this, as we mentioned, first league defeat of the season for the Royals. But boy, Coventry needed that. They did need it. And, and I love their attitude because Mark Robbins had said after the Middlesbrough game, just go for it, boys. He, he was sort of accusing his own players of, of holding back, maybe being too inhibited in championship company. And football can be a simple game, really, sometimes. And, and what... What he did was play two up front and urge his midfielders to to make more runs into the box. So what happened was we had bodies 
in advanced areas, occupying defenders, dragging Reading's midfielders out of position into places, parts of the field they didn't want to go to. And it just opened up space for others to, to go and make hay and, and to score some really good goals. So, yeah, it was it was a tactical triumph for Mark Robbins, even though all, all he did was was encourage a little bit more adventure from his players. But, but yeah, no, it was really good. Um, lots of positives. I do like the, the wing-back. Uh, Giles, I think he's he's caught my eye whenever I've watched commentary this season. It was a great goal from McCallum, who came on for for Dabo on the other side late on, and, and Gus, Gustavo Hammer scored scored a goal and was absolutely everywhere, but almost got himself sent off again. He's already been dismissed once this season, so he's just got to calm down a little bit. But um, but yeah, hopefully this performance would just give Coventry's players the belief that that they can go out and attack games in the championship rather than to sort of just keep things tight. Uh, we ought to have a brief word on, on Luton nil, Brentford three, as you hear, Faye. No, no shame in, in losing to Brentford, but but just one winning five for your boys now. Are you a bit concerned? Um, no, in Nathan Jones we trust, uh, for sure. I mean, look, Brentford are quality opposition and to be honest, three goals is fine by me. It wasn't seven, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> bit disappointing um, in terms of... Oh, I, I, it's difficult, isn't it? We need, we need to keep everybody playing. I always like to see James Collins start, but clearly we're kind of managing his workload um, at, at, at the moment. Defensively, I'm I'm slightly concerned. I think we could have done better um, with at least two of those goals from the weekend. But no, I'm confident and we've got Rotherham uh, coming up uh, midweek and uh, I think that's going to be a win. Let's head to Bristol next where Pookie powered Norwich to a 3-1 win at Ashton Gate. Timu back on top for them, 3-4 and four for him and Norwich up to fourth. Sam, they've got the wind in their wings at the moment. Yeah, definitely. I thought it was a really good game. Loads on on both goals. Uh, both goalkeepers had fantastic performances. Crawl in, in particular made two astonishing saves. Um, the one from the header in the first half, and then a fingertip on Chris Martin's curler in the in the second period, which was exceptional. And I think it was yes a good collective performance for Norwich, but individuals back to their best. You spoke about Puki uh, Crawl that I just mentioned and Buendia, brilliant as well. Wonderful goal uh, to to cap the victory fantastic touch and and finish from from him so he's getting back to his best and I thought tactically interesting bringing in Steeperman uh, left that Campwell left that Vrancic who's been doing the business and that link that we saw so well in the championship winning season was evident again with with him and Puki. so I'm seeing them tomorrow night against Millwall and um, that was a different type of victory you know racing into a lead we've been so grown accustomed to Norwich coming back and playing against deep line defences and playing through them and finding a way to win. So I think for Daniel Farker uh, and his team, that's a real morale boost in victory, given the, the, the way they did it. Bristol City-wise, Adrian, that Nicky wells Penenka rather summed up their form in, in recent weeks after a great start, now five without a win. Nicky wells it's over the top! He's blown it! Yeah, I thought that might get a mention. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a shocker, wasn't it? I was surprised to find out that that Wells has now missed six of his last nine from the spot. So it's a miracle, really, that he was allowed to take it. That he was their number one taker. Take it from me, he won't, he won't take the next one. You saw, I saw the interview with, with with the manager Holden afterwards, and he was asked the question, and yeah, he, he all but said he's not having any more. Um, yeah, it's slightly worrying. They, they. I, I thought that the back three were obviously exposed by three long passes for the goals. So they look bad, you know, Viner and, and Moore and Callas. Huge gaps opened up. But I actually felt a lot of the problems were, were in midfield where they didn't really get close to, to Norwich. That was where they lost the game, in my view. And I looked at the makeup of that Bristol City midfield. And for me, it's not got enough steel. O'Dowder, winger. Brunt, former winger, turned sort of deep-lying playmaker. And Patterson, who I think is always better going going forward. That, that was the midfield three. I think Bristol City need need a bit more steel in there, especially against teams like Norwich. 
Uh, Faye, Adrian mentioned that the post-match interview that Dean Holden did. He didn't look particularly enamoured with the question asked of him about, about penalty takers. Just give us a, a bit of insight in, into what it's like when you've got a manager giving you the thousand-yard stare when you're asking him a perfectly <laughs> legitimate question about his team. Oh, God. Well, I've faced Mick McCarthy many a time and <laughs> uh, and had that stare and that eye roll as well. Um, it's tough. But the thing is, you're asking the questions for the fans. You're not asking it to be awkward. You know, the whole point is you're representing the fans and that's something that they would want to ask. So, yeah, you you have to just stand strong, put your shoulders back and know that you're asking a perfectly legitimate question. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, it's it's awkward. And you always try and, like, appease the managers afterwards, you know, and before the interview to make sure they know it's not personal. Um, but most of the t- most of them know that. But it's difficult speaking to anybody straight after a match when emotions are high and they know that they have to keep those emotions in check to a certain point. So you just have to word it in a certain way that gets the answer you want but does not annoy them. <laughs> Um, let's head to the Cayenne Prince Foundation Stadium next. Screamers, the order of the day on Halloween is QPR beat Cardiff 3-2, a first win for Rangers since the opening day. Um, Sam, who did it better, Elias Chair or Marco Van Basten? Dominic Ball. Oh, what a strike. No hesitation. Right foot, left foot. It's a screamer. Top corner, Alex Smith. He's got absolutely no chance. What a strike, Dumble. <laughs> Whatever you're referencing, because that's the best goal of the weekend. It's yeah. unbelievable. Um, and I like that Mark Warburton's obviously known him. I think since he was a, a young boy. And um, he mocked him the last time he scored away at Luton. Sorry, Faye. I think it was. <laughs> He took the Michael out of him after that game and uh, he said he brought him on for chair to add a little bit of defensive steel considering Rangers were rocking at 2-2 and he scored a breathtaking goal on his on his weaker left foot. So, outstanding way to win it. I mean, if I had a pound for every time I'd seen QPR throw away a 2-0 lead, uh, I'd be a very rich man. I have nightmares about going to school after such defeats. But yeah, good, great character. I noted that they've given away five penalties in the last four games. So that's something they have to address. And for Cardiff, um, that's four times in a row that they've they've gone behind. Uh, they've been able to salvage points in the previous three, unable to do so. And, and for me, I look at it and I just think so much better when the handbrake's off in the second half. Took off Volks at halftime, um, put on Hoylet, moved Murphy central. It just gives them a little bit more freedom and a more of a goal threat. And I think in the first half, sometimes if the opposition start on the front foot, you can just get pinned back and there's no real get out. There's no creativity in the side. Again, looked looked even brighter when Tomlin came on late doors for, for, uh, for Murphy. So it'd be interesting to see what Neil Harris does there because of they need to, they need to improve. They need to improve. It's a very demanding fan base. Uh, I think the expectancy has risen on the back of what they did last year. Um, so important. They, they get it right in the weeks ahead, but, an improvement because we beat them 6-1 on New Year's Day. <laughs> I think Harry Wilson will make a difference when he's available again. Obviously, him and Tomlin coming into that team, you can see what see what they'll bring. But yeah, I had a look at the stats here, Sam, and you know I love a first half, second half table. Well, Cardiff are second bottom in the first half table, which is mythical, of course, um, six points. But in the second half table, they're second instead of second bottom. They're, they're 18 second half points that they've won. So that goes to show that they're just starting starting games way, way Should too Should Neil slow. Harris keep them out on the pitch like Phil Brown? <laughs> <laughs> Not sit him down, just like keep playing. Sit him down cross-legged. Uh, he actually said, Neil Harris, that it was the worst first half performance yeah. he's seen since he joined. Yeah. as well so yeah I do love that about Harris you get a lot of managers that deflect and they try and make excuses and, and, and they sort of try and sugarcoat defeats don't they So just to take the heat off them but he, he always fronts up and says it's not good enough yeah so I, I do quite like that about him um, but yeah brilliant from QPR wasn't it uh, I, I didn't see it coming Illy's chair was great um, wonderful skill just think Sam QPR centre backs I mean the back four in general Kane, Masterson, Barbe and Hammerlinen. I don't think that's a championship back four, is it? Possibly not. I think Dickie was a miss, obviously, after his red card, so he will come back in. But yeah, the decision by Masterson to 
make that that handball was I don't know if he meant it I think sometimes I've actually been guilty of one of them myself I think when you're tiring towards the end of a game and you know someone subconsciously is just behind you uh, unusually your arm goes in the air and you can make really poor decisions like that so yeah I tend to agree they have been you know pretty solid for, for Rangers for a portion of the season in terms of clean sheets but yeah it's something that Mark Warburton will maybe have to look at I sent half was what I think all the supporters wanted and it, it didn't happen in the window. So defending to be improved on then, Faye, but, but big for Mark Warburton that because we're coming up to this November international break, which is traditionally sacking season. Uh, yeah, and actually we've barely had any sackings really when you think about it. it's It's been quiet on the sacking front can't think of a better way to say it, really, <laughs> which is probably, you know, that there's lots of reasons for that. Everybody's working under completely different conditions. Um, obviously, nobody's going to want to pay out any uh, any managers at the moment because they're trying to keep as much money in-house as possible. So that's that's probably part part of the reason. But yeah, I mean, it, it's not been the greatest, the greatest start, but but they'll push through. Uh, finally, from the Championship, we simply must talk about Wickham's first win of this season. It's only right that we got Wickham's third most famous fan on to tell us about the game. That's right, it's Duncan Alexander from Opta Joe here with the lowdown. Uh, and so it came to pass that on Halloween, uh, the team that ghosted into the Championship finally got their first win of the season. Uh, I'm referring to the heroic Wickham Wanderers, of course. Um, the Peterborough Press, who still seem to have a bit of an issue with the club, said that this would be the week that the club were overhauled by Sheffield Wednesday. But turns out Wickham uh, went and beat them instead. And, and uh, it capped off a, a really positive week, really, because they played well against Norwich the previous weekend. I'm very unlucky to lose. Uh, completely outplayed Watford uh, and got a point. And then um, probably not quite as good against Wednesday, but picked up all three. And I think, you know, the... The trajectory is, is positive. Um, you know, the, the team looked like they're getting to grips with the championship. Um, uh, you know, special mention for Ryan Alsop in goal, who's been really good. Uh, Curtis Thompson was excellent in midfield against Wednesday. Um, and the centre-half partnership of uh, Anthony Stewart and Josh Knight looked, looked really good. And obviously, um, you know, this has coincided with Akin Fenwick uh, returning to fitness as well. Um, and they even did it without Gareth Ainsworth, who was in hospital. Um, having had a, a back operation, he looked like he was in quite a lot of pain um, in the Watford game in midweek. Um, and yeah, but I, it's kind of nice in a sense that the spotlight went on to Richard Dobson, who has been absolutely a rock for the club over the last decade. Um, you know, you know, one of the best assistant managers in the game. And uh, yeah, uh, Wickham saw it out a lot of bit of late pressure from Wednesday, but um, job well done. And uh, I think the the team. Obviously, it's going to be a struggle, but I think they can start to look up rather than down now. Um, and yeah, this season has a long way to go. So it's joy at Adams Park, but woe and misery for the Owls. Here to help us understand what's going on, it's the Athletic Sheffield Wednesday reporter, Nancy Frostick. Um, Nancy, your latest article for the Athletic opens with this line. Sheffield Wednesday's season and Gary Monk's position as manager are hanging by a thread. Uh, how much longer do you think this, this thread can hold? Monk needs to get a win from somewhere quickly, doesn't he? Yeah, it's going to be absolutely crucial. I think, um, to be honest, he's probably got until the international break. So uh, Wednesday, they've got Bournemouth uh, on Tuesday night and then they've got Millwall on Saturday. Um, and if they come away with anything less than probably, I'd say, four points, I, I think, yeah, it could be maybe, the, you know, the end of his, his time as manager. But um, if they do suddenly pick up, you know, four, between four and six points, then... It may be a bit of a stay of execution, so um, it's definitely a crucial period now. What's What's been missing in, in the last four games that, that seem to be there at the start of the season? Because they actually kicked off the campaign quite well. Yeah, they were doing great. And I think up until um, there was a win against Birmingham about a fortnight ago, um, you know, they, they would have been inside the top eight or, or something like that if they hadn't had the points deduction. The, the defeat against Brentford was just, I guess, you know, one team that we're obviously probably all expecting to be there or thereabouts this season in terms of promotion against, you know, a Wednesday team that were suffering with uh, losing key players um, to injuries. Whereas the three games since then, you know, Wednesday fans were quite rightly talking about those games and saying we need between six and probably nine points from from three games against Luton, Rotherham and, and Wickham. And that's not to be 
disrespectful to those teams. But obviously, you know, when many people are kind of setting out their predictions for the season, they are three of the teams that, along with Wednesday, probably in that discussion for, you know, being in a bit of trouble. And um, it, Wednesday just didn't turn up to any of them. You know, they they have been missing key players. Uh, Dominic Ioff has been out, Izzy Brown, Massimo Luongo. So, you know, they'd miss any one of those players. But to have all three gone is, you know, nightmare stuff. But they've just not looked like scoring, been really kind of wasteful with crosses and wasteful with chances in front of goal. And then haphazard at the back, which is very much kind of what happened um, at the tail end of last season. Um, and it was individual errors that really just, you know, they press self-destruct um, all too often then. And it's it's kind of crept back in. So they're quite low on confidence by the looks of things as well, which is uh, which is a shame considering that start. So. What's what's Monk been using as an explanation? Is, has he been pointing out the injuries, or, or is there something else that that he thinks is behind this slump? Um, yeah, I mean, he has obviously pointed to the injuries. I think his caveat is always that he doesn't want to use anything as an excuse, and he wants to take responsibility. But obviously, at a certain point, that that's not going to bode well for his kind of prospects of keeping hold of his job. Um, but but yeah, he's also said kind of lack of cutting edge in front of goal, low confidence, and. Um, you know, in many ways, they're kind of things that we've probably heard before. So he doesn't want this team to be judged um, on the results of last season, which were obviously terrible at the end of end of last season. Um, but in some ways, it, it's kind of quite hard to ignore when, you know, the, the team is showing some signs of, of not really showing that much progression, um, despite, you know, quite a few players coming in over over the transfer window. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a mix of things. And, and to be honest, if anyone had the answer, um, you know, they'd be a massive help to Wednesdays. It's not necessarily like it's one thing that can be easily remedied. It's, um, it's a bit of a puzzle at the moment. Mm. Um, finally, in your piece, you mentioned the appeal against the, the 12 point deduction. That, that's due to be heard next month. What's the feeling internally at the club as to how likely it is to be successful? Um, I think... I mean, Wednesday have always been confident in, you know, their belief that the EFL signed off on um, the stadium sale and um, everything that kind of went with that. So um, I would assume that that's sort of still the case. It's been quite hard with with the appeal because um, we don't quite know. A bit like the original charge, we don't quite know where it's going to, when it's going to fall and um, what shape that might take and everything. Um, so. It, gauging the mood is somewhat tricky because you know I think Wednesday are in a situation now where they have been dot the points and they have to continue as if that's going to be the case. They can't kind of you know live with one eye uh, watching when the trial uh, when the appeal might be and and uh, you know what the positive outcome of that might be. I mean it would absolutely save their bacon with the current form if um, if they're able to to get that overturned. But um, as things stand, I think. It's just a case of they're literally firefighting on multiple fronts and, you know, that would be a real help to them, but that they probably know there's no guarantee. Yeah, well, if owls could cross their fingers, they'd be doing it, I'm sure. Um, Nancy, thanks so much for joining us today. <laughs> thanks. Nancy Frostick, Sheffield Wednesday reporter for The Athletic there. Um, Adrian, big win, obviously, for Wickham. Did you notice anything different about how they approached this game? Obviously, Gareth Ainsworth was in hospital rather than on the touchline. Yeah, it wasn't ideal, was it, for them? Um, had hardly any of the ball again, 20, 28% possession. Um, no, not so much different. Different from the start of the season because Akin Fenn was there now and he, he's he's given them that target. So what I've noticed from the last few games is you know, so many balls are being clipped from the full-backs into the chest or the head of Akin Femmer. And then you've got two guys around him in Kashket and Horgan. And that plays to their strengths because they're, they're busy players that are happy to pop up in, in central areas. So they're just playing to their strengths. That works for them. Set pieces are huge. Jacobson, again, delivers um, a quality set piece for, for Wheeler. And, and Sam's talked about Wheeler's strength in the air before on this show and and yeah he came up trumps with a great header so no look, it, it felt like this was coming didn't it because they've had a tough run of games Wickham they've played some really difficult opposition but they've been close and I just yeah I felt it was almost inevitable that, that Sheffield Wednesday who just can't buy a goal at the moment we're, we're going to come a cropper now, as is becoming customary, we like to build a midweek echo with the help of Paddy Power. So far, it's not come to fruition. Clarkie and Parkey 
Yet to learn how to pull out, cash out, I mean cash out. Uh, now then, Faye, Ryan and Flo have both opted for unlikely draws, which have thwarted the ACA. A lot of pressure on you to uh, to choose well this week, therefore. What's your pick, please? Um, I don't want to say it now. <laughs> Luton to win against Rotherham. <laughs> <laughs> What's Where is it? I love that. Thinking. It's at Rotherham. <laughs> oh, Faye. No, the away oh, record's amazing. On. Well done, Faye. Top quality. <laughs> <laughs> at least as long as it's not a draw. Sam, I'm surprised you're happy to talk about it after you and Adrian came so close. I've been back to that bet uh, last oh, week. <laughs> it was agony, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I was. I think I, yeah, schoolboy from me. I had 120 quid at one point. Yeah, <laughs> I think I folded. I think I, I sort of, we, we neither of us wanted to bottle it and cash out, so we egged each other on to carry on, and it ended up just costing us, didn't it? <laughs> oh, it was murder game. watching the last fifteen minutes of Bristol City pitifully doing nothing as an attacking force, just come and throw the kitchen sink at Bournemouth, mm. nothing. But that acker was it came out just over a hundred to one, so we were a whisker away. It was a good effort. Yeah, we're doing oh, another I big had, one I this had week. Millwall and Huddersfield, Hudd- sorry, I had Millwall and Huddersfield, both teams to score on my family accumulator at the weekend. I thought I thought that would be fine. It's so frustrating. <laughs> Everybody's got a tale of Ackerwoe. Uh, my pick comes from the Championship too. I'm going for over two and a half goals in the game between Brentford and Swansea. Abby, can you give us some odds on that and on uh, face pick too, please? Well, let's start off with Faye's pick. That's the one that we quite like the look of. Rotherham versus Luton. Uh, Luton are 11-5 to five to win that one. So those are some tasty odds to start off the Acker. As for Brentford versus Swansea, uh, over 2.5 goals. That's actually odds on. We're looking at 19-20. to 20. So, uh, yeah, well, swings and roundabouts with this uh, championship Acker, firstly. <laughs> that is producer Abby back after her week absence. And, uh, yeah, back informed by the sounds of it. Up next, it's Leap One. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams. League One headlines. Leaders Lincoln lost at Donny and dropped to third as a result. They're one of three teams on 22 points with Peterborough leading the pack after their 5-1 taming of the Shrews. Ipswich in second place after some holy heroics got them the win over Crew. At the bottom, Oxford back to propping up everybody else after their loss at Fleetwood. And Blackpool have named former Cambridge, Northampton and Forest boss Colin Calderwood as their new assistant. Uh, we begin our look back though at Stadium MK. The old Dons took on the new Dons. 1-1 it finished. Um, the excitement though really around Wimbledon Fay at the moment is the fact they've got the first game coming up at the new Plough Lane. This week. I know. Oh, I'm so gutted that fans can't be there for this. Seriously, I know that we talk about the lack of fans all the time, but this in particular, 30 odd years since Wimbledon have had their own home stadium, obviously after spending 10 years at Selhurst Park before uh, they relocated as Wimbledon up to Milton Keynes and, and renamed and AFC Wimbledon. Phoenix Club fans supported, fans backed and have dragged themselves up in League One, and then they get to go to Plough Lane. It's just fantastic. Um, I saw some photographs of the press box the other day uh, that, that were sent to me. Looks looks great. So much better than uh, Plough Lane. Uh, Plough Lane, Kings Meadow, <laughs> where you're just a little bit cramped in. You know, initial capacity 9,300, but when they get it up to, to 20,000, I, I, I just can't wait. You know, I, I'm from, I, I live in Wimbledon. My husband was a Wimbledon fan growing up as a kid. He used to go to Selhurst Park and fell out of love with football um, when uh, they relocated to Milton Keynes, uh, as in the old Wimbledon, if you like. And I, I think they lost a lot of fans there because you you want a local club. You know, I'm from Luton. There'd be no other reason to support Luton Town necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's the whole point of football. It's a community club and AFC Wimbledon are a fantastic community club around here and everybody's really excited to get them back at Plough Lane. Yeah, very exciting. Something to look forward to. In terms of Saturday's game, though, Adrian, you're thinking still that MK are a bit too nice? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they play the pretty football, don't they? But but yeah, it's it's a it's a missed opportunity. I I, I think it's more a case of 
AFC Wimbledon are really stubborn opponents. I mean, they've not conceded more than one goal in their last seven games, AFC Wimbledon. So I don't think it was ever going to be a walk in the park for, for MK Dons. I played at the old Plough Lane, by the way, and... Uh, yeah, it was uh, not a salubrious place to, to play football. Not not plush by any means. Um, Have you scored but, there though, Clarkey? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Oh, no. Just me then, is it? Uh, just me. Okay, yeah. That's right. proper football to me though. You don't want salubrious <laughs> surroundings. <laughs> no, no, exactly. No. So no, um, going back to this game, probably a fair result. I mean, Joe Piggott again sort of uh, came up trumps, didn't he? I just think that, that Wimbledon are, are really onto a good thing at the moment defensively um, young defence uh, Paul Callumbay and Sissoka alongside Terrell Thomas who's a bit more experienced and uh, yeah it's a nice it's a nice good unit but yeah MK Dons lots of good football but yeah not, not enough ruthlessness at the moment uh, Sam you're a kit expert Wimbledon's home kit that they wore on Saturday is that is that the best in the EFL currently? I'll have to have a second glance. I can't think off the top of my head. I've seen so many goals, so many uh, highlights over the weekend. I can't comment. But I did love the 80s Plough Lane Wimbledon kit, the cup final kit. I've been to Plough Lane as a spectator. Uh, I think my dad took me there. QPR got beaten up. We lost 1-0. We sat on, I would presume, wooden benches. And I think my dad really... Didn't want to go and watch QPR, but he said, that's the last time I'm ever taking you to watch Wimbledon. So, <laughs> so I think that was the the reputation, obviously, they had back then. But no, I echo what uh, Faye's just been saying there. They belong at Plough Lane. It was actually the club that I, I was at first, at the School of Excellence. So I got really fond memories. And, and obviously, probably my, well, I would say I'm kind of equal distance from, from a number of clubs, but one of my local ones. Um, so, yeah, really looking forward to that. Right, I've just sent a picture of the Wimbledon kit to you on WhatsApp. So, you know, if you mention it next time you're on Quest, you might get a free one of those as well. By the way, <laughs> did anybody see Timu Puki's rather 80s looking shell suit Norwich training Yeah. Time? Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Talking of the 80s. I think this seems to be a new phenomenon, actually, because when I was at Wembley for... Um, uh, the England internationals, England, the first match that they played, they came out in, in those kind of 80s shell suit training tops as well. So it must be a new, a new trend. <sighs> you should live in it. Everything suit. comes back round. You get, you're yeah. going to be in fashion again any point. <laughs> no one wants the 80s fashion to come back round, surely. Love a shell suit. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> um, meanwhile, in Wigan, it was Northampton who made off with the points. Uh, 3-2 win at the home of the Latics. I mentioned this one earlier, Adrian. Mm. Much needed morale boost for Kurt. And co this yeah definitely um and yeah they yeah they needed it but it was a really strong start for them wasn't it in the game um very powerful going going forward i quite like that their forward line with it with hoskins there and smith and yeah they've, they've, they've got some dangerous dangerous players and i think the star man for northampton in this game was ryan watson from midfield could have had a hat-trick bowl accounts just make it making those those forward runs. So, yeah, and when you've got a striker like Harry Smith who sort of holds it up well, it gives central midfielders uh, more faith, more confidence that when they make those 20-yard sprints, it's not going to be wasted. Um, I'm sure, yeah, Sam would have played with midfielders that would have moaned and groaned at him um, if, he, if he didn't hold the ball up properly. And they would, it, what happens if a, if a striker doesn't do that, midfielders stop making those runs because they just think it's not worth it. It worked for Northampton at the weekend. And uh, yeah, they inflicted another body blow on Wigan who tailed off a bit, haven't they? It's, it's not going so well for them. Yeah, no wins in seven, Faye. I guess maybe that's to be expected given the circumstances around them this season. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I feel for their fans so much. You know, I didn't want them to go down last season much as, you know, it, at one point it felt as if it was between Luton and Wigan and obviously we, we ended up staying up of our own accord. Um, but, but it's so harsh for them. And as you say, it's no surprise whatsoever. They've got no money. I think, you know, when they're having to, to, to see Joe Gelhart, who was superb for them, uh, you know, they selling him for like £900,000 to Leeds and he's just knocking in goals for fun. It's just absolutely infuriating and I really feel for them and I hope they can turn things around and try and get themselves back up the table. Sam, anything from Saturday's game that, that you picked up on that maybe others didn't? Well, just that they had seven first-teamers out, 
So it's been a really youthful team. Uh, certainly the fullback area, central midfield throughout the season. But yeah, just um, my old um, drinking partner, Jamie Jones in goal. Um, Gardner was playing and Garner leading the line. So I had a little look without those three. The average age was about, I know, a bit silly doing it that way. But the other rate, the average age was 21. So you can understand... Uh, coming up against a really physical side, as Adrian spoke of there. I think that's probably why Harry Smith was selected to put their centre-halves under pressure. Rose is a player that I've always liked and it was a it was quite a forceful attacking lineup that Keith Curl went with. So they recovered, played really well in the second half, Wigan, and had Northampton holding on. But yeah, a good victory. And um, as Adrian mentioned, get hold of it will be written on my gravestone. <laughs> it's the easiest shout ever from the manager, the defenders, the midfielders, when they're not doing their job, get hold of it. Get even though I normally it. had two six foot five animals <laughs> a yard behind me. <laughs> um, while we're with you, Sam, you spent your Saturday at Fratton Park watching Charlton beat Portsmouth by two goals to nil. We've spoken a lot about Pompey of late, so we'll look at this from a Charlton perspective. You compared them, Sam, to George Graham's Arsenal. I was only messing about, but um, yeah, I mean, defensively, I think it's over nine hours now. And um, I was working with the uh, Radio London Charlton guru, Louis Mendes. And I said, Louis, what's the, uh, what's the record here, son? The club record midway through the second half. And he said, 97-98, the old Clive Mendonca playoff final year. They finished that season with seven clean sheets, remarkably, considering they conceded four in the playoff final to Sunderland. And then they started the play, uh, the Premier League season with three shutouts. So it's 10 is the club record. But maybe you statisticians, Clarkie and Faye, would question that, considering it's over two campaigns. No, no. no I don't Ten think games. so. Yeah. You'd have that, yeah? yeah? Yeah, I'm having that. Yeah. There you go. So they're, they're just over halfway to that. And yeah, it built on the foundation they finished with Prattley and Gunter as the two centre-halves. Outstanding. Really were. Um, Portsmouth started so fast, really confident, aggressive. They tried to put Fame, Woe and Martin, the two low knees, under, under pressure. And they struggled a little bit in playing out. Charlton can be better with the ball. But defensively, I think Ronan Curtis had one chance before Charlton scored. That was it. That was what they limited them to, a team that have been free scoring, nine goals in the last three games. So, yeah, they are really looking the business defensively. And going forward, I thought the first goal illustrated how to play the diamond perfectly. Prattley dropping in between the two centre-halves. Shinny, who was playing one of the outside roles of the diamond, coming into the middle. Forster Kasky switching the play. Brilliant from Martin, the overlapping bombarding full back down the left-hand side and Johnny Williams, the number 10, arriving in the box. So they're well coached, Charlton. Uh, and the subs that Lee Bowyer made, perfect timing. Tiring, under the cosh, changed the two front men, Smith and Anike combined for the winning goal. So it was a brilliant away performance. But Portsmouth, no question, have improved and will be strong as well. Pound for pound, Lee Bowie is up there, isn't he? In terms uh, of that was going to be my next question. He's yeah. really underrated, isn't he? Because for his whole reign, he's had at least one hand tied behind think, his back. I think he's underrated because he was such a nasty little player. Honestly, I just think those of us that are old enough to remember him as a player, kind of a, a little bit, you know, you stereotype Lee Burry a little bit. But as a coach, alongside Johnny Jackson, obviously friend of the show, I think that they they get it right tactically so often. And I, I, I just think... Now that he's been given funds to get the players he wanted in, I make them not favourites, but I think they've got a really good chance of, of top two this year. That was done hey. at the weekend without some big players as well. You know, with Watson and Innes suspended doubt, he's out for a long time now with his hamstring. And, you know, when you're looking at the team sheet before the game and everyone in the press box was just like, I've no idea what they're playing here. No idea what they're playing. So, again... Tactically, as you say, Clarkie, I think it probably threw Portsmouth going back to the diamond that was so successful in the championship, along with Luton's diamond, Faye, obviously, oh, thank under, you. under Nathan of Jones. <laughs> but I, I thought they just looked really well coached um, and a big victory against the Portsmouth side, who I have to say looked really confident in the first 15 minutes. So it was a great win. 
Faye, on, on Bowie, yeah, do you think that, that bad boy rep, do you think that's maybe stopped other clubs for, for, from looking at him? You know, he, last year he wasn't particularly subtle about implying that he would have moved from Charlton if, if there'd been an offer on the table. Um, I don't think so because I think he's he's a very different man, I think. You know, the man that I've interviewed is cool, calm, considered, articulate and just it just seems like such a long time ago that that image was associated with him that what he's done at Charlton, as you say, as Sam said, with, with one hand, two hands sometimes tied behind his back is it is testament to somebody who can grind it out when times are really tough and still come out you know uh well I, and i think I, I think people look beyond that they look at him as a manager now and what he can do rather than that reputation that he had before all right let's carry on building our midweek acker with the help of our friends at paddy power adrian your pick comes from league one this week yeah, I've gone for Northampton, actually, partly because I was attracted by the price. Northampton entertained the MK Dons, a bit of a local derby. And it's sort of a clash of styles. It's it's you know, very direct and physical against the, the pretty boys who like to, to, to knock the ball around. And, and often you see that, you know, the bully boys prevail in these games. Not always. But on the back of that win at, at Wigan, I, I think Northampton at almost three to one. They're just under three to one on home turf to win this game. So even though their home record is poor, I'm, I'm backing them. Uh, Sam, your selection also comes from the third tier. Speaks like a bookie now, doesn't he, Clarky? <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, I'm going to go for Sunderland to beat my old boys Ipswich. Um, and that's because Ipswich have lost the last two uh, away from home really poor. And Sunderland responded to that defeat against Portsmouth. And I just don't see Ipswich maybe having that thrust on the counter that Portsmouth had so successfully a few weeks ago. And I think it's a long shot that Sunderland are going to be that poor at home once again. So I just fancy them to maybe make headway towards the top of the division and in quite a heavyweight clash. Abby, what does that do to the Acker? Yes, so uh, Sunderland are 10 to 11 to beat Ipswich uh, in the midweek. And uh, I currently have uh, Northampton as 11 to 4. So put that all together with the championship at the moment. Our accumulator reads 43.67 to 1. However, uh, there's still one more selection to come. Sweet. League 2, you're next. Totally Football Shows and The Athletic are delighted to be supporting Football Aid for the months of October and November. Bid now at footballaid.com to get your hands on some incredible football memorabilia, including signed shirts from Steven Gerrard, Luca Vialli, Gareth Bale and even Peter Crouch's boots. Find out more, get bidding and support the cause at footballaid.com. League 2 headlines, Tranmere sacked Michael Jackson. Their performances this season have been bad, so he's been told to beat it, etc. and so on. Uh, Mansfield also looking for a new boss after Graham Coughlin was given the Spanish archer. Stags have made their worst start to a campaign in more than a century, but they were able to grab a point against Walsall this weekend. Elsewhere, in the Paul Scholes derby, Paul Scholes won, that's Salford beating Oldham. And Newport extended their lead at the top, beating 10-man Harrogate. Bolton continue to wander their way down the table. I want to start there with Barrow 1, Bradford 0. Back-to-back wins for Barrow, this despite one of their players testing positive for coronavirus, uh, as did David Dunn a few weeks ago. But Sammy seems to have hit upon a, a winning formula. Yeah, I think a really good week. Not as convincing as the, the previous victory at, um, at Mansfield, but very good value for it, I thought. Obviously helped by a, a sending off in the, in the second half. I think they have, they've had a number of players sent off when they've been facing them this season, so they've been quite fortunate in that regard. And I just wanted to highlight Jason Taylor, who looks to have been key uh, for Barrow in this kind of renaissance. Uh, the first five games of the season, just three points. He's come back in for the last five where they've won two, drawn two and lost one for eight points. So a player, I think, having done a little bit of homework, question marks about whether he can st- he could step up but obviously combative winning the ball 
keeping it nice and simple. Him along with Luke James, who's led the line brilliantly in the last couple of games. A, a young player who I remember coming through at Hartlepool, I believe. And he was pretty good at that point in his career. And it's obviously not quite happened for him, but I think he's been integral in these in these victories as well. So very much looking like they're, they're up to the level now. I feel like this has been coming, Adrian. It's not like they've been getting beaten particularly regularly or, or beaten heavily when, when they have lost. No, not at all. No, they've been scoring goals. And when the team's scoring goals, you've got to fancy them to turn it around sooner rather than later. I think 10 goals now in the last four games. It's clean sheets that were the problem. Um, so they'll be delighted. Obviously, it helped them playing against 10 men. And, and Bradford at the moment are, are toothless going forward. Really, really missing Liam Novak, who, who they tend to rely on. So, so yeah, it kind of worked in their favour favor here. And, and it was good. And just to add to what Sam said, I think the wing-backs have been important. Both scored in the previous game against Mansfield. One of them, Josh Kay, was the guy who tested positive for COVID. So he came out and Connor Brown came in at left wing-back. And, and he was the one who scored. So so getting their wing-backs really high up the pitch is, is something that David Dunn's looking to do. And uh, I think they're going to be fine, Barrow. I think they're, yeah, they're, they'll soon be in mid-table. Uh, Bradford, Faye, a bit like me at school. Big reputation, regular listeners will know as head boy, but, but never looking like they're actually going to fulfil that. <laughs> Uh, no, but they they face Southend on on <laughs> Tuesday, so you know I think they'll probably. Uh, sorry, Southend fans, I think they'll they'll probably uh, be impressive at least in that, no matter what the scoreline ends up being. But yeah, disappointing really for, from Bradford. I've not seen too much of them this season, but I expected a little bit more from them. Um, I can't give you any more than that. I'm afraid I know nothing else about uh, what. Bradford season's done so uh, yeah that was that was the one game that I barely did any research on I'm really sorry <laughs> <laughs> okay well let's move on to Tranmere Neil Morecambe one then we mentioned uh, Michael Jackson given his, his marching orders Faye they are quite patient the Paliosas but but the patience has run out on this occasion yeah and it had to really I'm afraid and you know it's it, it don't, you never want to see any managers uh, lose their job but they're 18th Tranmere it's just uh, not good enough at the moment I'm just pulling the the, the table up at the moment to see exactly their last few yeah that's it one one win in their last five you know that's just not good enough form and I'm afraid that's exactly what happens when you do that but for Morecambe you know finally a, a win for them I think it's their first win in five for, for Morecambe so at least they can try and uh, turn things around but you know you would expect at this kind of time we're getting as you said earlier on to the international break when managers do tend to lose their jobs because people have a couple of weeks to kind of uh, get their ducks in a row uh, you might see some more following him. Sam, I feel like whoever comes in at Tranmere, one of their their key tasks will be to just inject a bit of positivity about the place. You know, they they had a reasonable cause to be fed up with how last season ended. But at some point, you've got to move on and start to look to the future. And hopefully a new face will do that for them. Yeah, 100%. I remember him speaking about the, the siege mentality that they had to create because of what happened at the back end of last season. And that's not filtered down to the playing squad at all. Um, when you look at it, scored six times in 10 games. They've blanked into seven of those fixtures. That's just beggar's belief when you look at the, the calibre of player. You look at Vaughan and Khan and Woolery, um, Banks in midfield with Lewis. They've got real quality there. So something's been amiss. They don't look particularly organised. He was a very combative, aggressive player and has done a wonderful job as an assistant. And I think, you know, looking at the messages from all the Tramir supporters, he leaves, you know, with all their well wishes. But I think it's a decision that had to be made. And 100%, someone needs to come in that's probably not been affected by the disappointment of the last campaign and just reignite that squad. Um, I've seen Dave Challoner mentioned. Uh, we all remember him and his his throws. I think it was Dave Challoner, wasn't it? Yeah, He's it was, yeah. at um, Hartlepool now. I've seen Jeff Stelling um, grabbing hold of his current boss and saying you can't have him. But I think... I thought you were about to say Jeff Stelling's taking the job. <laughs> That's a sideways step. Um, <laughs> he would probably be very good, Jeff, with his knowledge, wouldn't he? <laughs> uh, with Adrian to, for the tactics. Um, but yeah, I, I think maybe tried and tested. I don't know what Adrian thinks, but I think they're going to have to go with a safe pair of hands there. 
to get them some points and get them where they should be, which is challenging for promotion. Yeah, I, I think they need a, an upbeat personality. Let's get it right here. Tranmere have spent the last seven months feeling sorry for themselves, feeling hard done by, haven't they? And yeah, things haven't gone their way. But but yeah, Mike, Mike Jackson didn't get it right, did he? Um, seven different formations as well in those ten games, which I think is always a, a sign of a, of a coach that's sort of scrabbling around. And Sam's bang on. The, the players have got a really really good. They should be operating in, in the top half, really. So yeah, I, I think that if they get the right character in, the right the right person to lift the mood. Then and to start playing some more attacking football, then then they can salvage their season. Tranmere. I just saw Nigel Adkins potentially linked with it, or certainly wanted. <laughs> but I mean, that just seems like a bit. I want Nigel Adkins remaining where he is in yeah. his garden, doing brilliant Twitter videos every morning. <laughs> Sensational. Good morning. Trust you've all slept well. Start again Monday morning. Start of a new week. Start of a new month, in fact. And uh, you know, get up. Get your bed made. So important. You know, you've got a good bed to get back into. What will I do without Nigel Atkins to motivate me with these videos? He can't take a job. He's not allowed to. I'm pouring a coffee before he's finished telling me to make a coffee. <laughs> well, maybe this is his subtle pitch for the job. We know that he's a cheery kind of motivator. Um, anyway, Morecambe won that game. Well done to them. Still completely befuddled by them. Played 10, won 5, lost 4. Goal difference minus seven, uh, but they got the W there. Odds, Abby, we need a, a League Two game to go into our ACA to, to make it even juicier. Which one have you got? Bear in mind, Ben picked a really good one last week, so, so there's pressure here. Yeah, I, I've noted that pressure. Um, I've also noted, as you said, that uh, Barrow have hit upon a winning formula and uh, they face Grimsby midweek, who have yet to win at home. So I've gone for Barrow to travel over to Grimsby and that comes through at six to four for their win. So put it all into Paddy Power's magic calculator of accumulators. And we have got 106.25 to 1 for Luton to win, for there to be over 2.5 goals between Brentford and Swansea, for Sunderland to win, Northampton to win and Barrow to win. There you go. Sam and Clarkie, you're going to be just minutes away from £107 before it all goes wrong again. Um, time just about up for this week. Before we leave, though, in honour of the newly named Papa John's Trophy, Let's have your favourite pizza toppings, Bitroot 1 this week. Sam, what are you going for? Mighty Meaty would be my guess. I've spoken far too much about my dad on the podcast. He can't even turn off a com- uh, turn on a computer, but just an American all day. American, my dad used American to take hot. me. I've evolved to an American hot, obviously, but I was an American, copious bottles of Coke as he's swilling Peronis. Dad, can I have another Coke? Just have about five while he's not looking. Um, that was me, Pizza Express, American. Now an American hot or maybe a Fiorentina with pepperoni. Faye, I've got you pegged as a uh, a spinach and feta kind of pizza enthusiast. Am I wider than mine? That's because I told you I was gluten-free earlier on. <laughs> and uh, that does not mean I don't like good meat on my pizza. Pepperoni all the way. I'm with Sam. It's an American, but not an American hot. Too spicy. They're a household specialty uh, at Clark Towers, aren't they, Adrian? Well, yeah, we do make our own here uh, here in the Shire. Um, but we, and, and I'll tell you what, homemade pizzas, they, they do taste better. They really do. Um, but, but yeah, I, don't, I digress. For me, yeah, spicier <laughs> the better. Uh, jalapenos, yeah, on, it, on every sort of slice for me. That's, that's the way I'm going with my pizza eating. Kudos to Adrian for the most middle-class answer. He makes his own pizza, basically. Um, me? I also, I, can I just say, I also buy disgustingly cheap pizzas on occasion too and enjoy them just as much. Uh, I'm going ham and pineapple just to, just to get people's backs up. Abby, I'd like to hear from you at this point. We don't normally get you involved in this, but it's an important topic. One with well, a salad in the middle, the legara. Absolutely it's not. More carbs, the better. I, um, we actually went out for pizza last night to our local pub. Um, I live in South London, so it's all about the sourdough base here. Um, and I did have half a pepperoni pizza and half a pizza that had serrano ham, gorgonzola and mascarpone on. And that is my favourite. Lush. Best way to disguise a horse, isn't it? Mascarpone. Uh, Good stuff. Uh, Many thanks to Sam, Adrian and Abby for their company today. And to you, of course, listener. George and Ali will be here on Thursday with the Totally Football League Show Extra Time. And if you like your pods forest flavoured, check out Two Stars also out on Thursday. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com. 
and by following at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. I'm Faker Others and I'm here to tell you about the next big thing. Well, actually, this lot are here to tell you all about the next big thing. I think he can go straight to the top and I think the ceiling with him is so high. I do think he's going to be an England international at some point. He's He really is that good. The question is, do you loan them out or do you keep them in-house? People within Arsenal are really, really rooting for this guy. The next big thing is here to tell you about the future stars of the global stage, the next headline makers at your club, and give you all the information you need to know so you can impress your mates down the pub. You know, when we're all allowed back anyway. Until then, subscribe to The Next Big Thing so you can be ahead of the game. A bit like the footballers we're talking about, really. That's The Next Big Thing from The Athletic, available now on all podcasting platforms or get it ad-free via The Athletic app. Muddy Knees Media.